Welcome to Season 4 of the M-W Tactical Podcast. Sit back and enjoy the conversations of Rockstar Burst and myself, Michael Woodland, as we discuss the sport of shooting, goals, training, community matters, and everyday life. You are listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. All right, good people. We're back at it again. And thank you for joining us for another installation of the M-W Tactical Podcast. This week's show is brought to you in part by CAE Transfer. And for those of you who are unaware, when you go to buy a firearm, you have to go through an FFL. And this is what CAE Transfers do. They are an FFL license here in Columbia, South Carolina. So if you are somewhere else in the country and you want to send a firearm to me, I would actually tell you to go through CAE Transfers. Um, because for one thing, CAE, CAE Transfers sponsors segment of um, the M-W Tactical Podcast, and they also sponsor me when it comes to shooting. So if you are interested in any type of way and you have any type of business with the firearms, look up CAE Transfers and let them help you out the best way they can. And also to let you know, I honestly think they have the cheapest rates in South Carolina when it comes to transferring a firearm, $20. You can't beat that. And I don't even know if he changed his prices or not, but that was the last thing I know was $20 for a transfer. All right, so head on over to Facebook, Instagram, and do a search for CAE Transfers and tell them Mike from M-W Tactical sent you. For everybody who listens to the show, once again, thank you. We really do appreciate it. And the emails are still coming in. And Rockstar, by far, is a favorite. <laughs> so we're going to have to give her a round of applause when we bring her on to the show because everybody asks me about Rockstar. You know, so that's what it is. So Rockstar is partying like a rock star now. I, that's how I'm going to look at it. Now, of course... If, however you listen to the M-W Tactical Podcast, like I said, we are very appreciative of it. So if you're on YouTube, Spotify, or whatever your favorite streaming platform is, please go ahead and hit that follow and subscribe button. And you will get notified whenever we put up a new episode of the M-W Tactical Podcast. Now, of course, if you're on YouTube and you hit that subscribe button and a notification bell, however you want to be notified, you will get notifications for any video we put up on YouTube. Now, also remember on YouTube, we are doing a 1,000 subscriber giveaway once we hit 1,000. So please share the channel with your friends and let everybody know we will be giving away items once we hit 1,000 subscribers. Now, bringing forth the co-host of the M-W Tactical Podcast. Some of you might know that I troll Rockstar, but this week Rockstar was trolling me. She'd been beating me to the punch and I was like, how is this possible? So maybe she got hip to my game, but we got to hear it from her firsthand. So without further ado, bringing forth the co-host of the M-W Tactical Podcast, Rockstar. What's going on there with you, Miss Rockstar? 
I have been trolling you all week, haven't I? <laughs> yes, yeah. You caught me off guard. I'm like, whoa, what's this? Oh my goodness, she's gonna beat me. <laughs> yeah, so um so much going on. It's like all these interesting news stories. I'm like, oh, I gotta send this so we can talk about it. <laughs> yes, yeah. So um the first one you sent me, I was like, Yeah, I called that one years ago. And now that is the talk of the nation going on right now. And then another one you sent me about um, the raid on the Amish guy for selling firearms. I was like, wow, that's pretty. I didn't even finish that article, but I was like, it's on the Amish. That's what I said. Like, they're <laughs> innocent. But then again, I guess whatever community you're a part of, crime is relevant in some way. People always try to get over. So. <laughs> Maybe the horse and buggy stealings are at an all-time high. I don't know. I don't know, but um, uh, let me tell you about my first encounter with an Amish community. And it was just weird to me because it was like I took a step back in time, right? My grandfather on my, you know, my dad's father, um, he was at, in a military um, retirement home up around somewhere up in the DC area but it was outside of DC on the Virginia side and I can't remember the city where I was at it might have been I can't remember exactly where it was but when I went I'm driving down this long road and looking at acres of farmland and then all of a sudden I come up on this horse and buggy and the little kid was sitting in the back and it creeped me out because I was like, yo, this is like spooky from a movie. And the little kid is just sitting there, blank face, big eyes, the Amish hat on, the little white shirt. And then, of course, I'm taking it he had pants on because it was kind of chilly at that time frame. And he was just riding in the back and just giving me a blank stare looking at me. And I was like, is he possessed? Is he zoned out or what? But then again, now that what I know, I do understand it better, but I was just freaked out the first time I saw that, you know? So, um, then when I was leaving that living facility that my grandfather was in, I went through a town and it was just weird to me because it's not nothing that I'm used to or nothing I was used to seeing growing up. So it was very different very different but um of course you know being in the military i had a couple soldiers when they came through um they was telling me like they used to be a part of the amish community and they was educating me on some stuff and it was weird but around about that time frame one of the soldiers was telling me it was a tv show um i forgot the name of it but it was like um a couple kids from the Amish community, I guess they was trying to live in regular culture. Uh, what, what would you call it? Americanized? Or, uh, yeah, they, they do that. It's like a thing. It's yeah. called Rumspringer. And it's like right. <laughs> they leave the community to, to for like a year or however long they go to like see if they want to be Amish or if they want to not be. Oh, wow. So they don't get looked down upon? no it's actually encouraged it's like part of them like spreading their wings and then they, you know they come back and they have to make a decision they either have to come back and like commit to being Amish and like get married or they basically denounce their Amish roots and they they become part of the world oh wow 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, I really don't really don't know anything about that way of living. Um, from what I understand, their way of living is genuine to like how America was first formed. And they don't really venture from that too much. Um, do they even watch TV? No, they don't use electricity. They don't have phones. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I yeah, thought. That's what I thought. So, very different, very different. But um, that article right there, I was like, wow, that was pretty, wow. But the main one I want to talk about um, this week is the one about the National Firearm Registry, and that one was like okay, now this right here can really change the way we live our day-to-day lives. And I don't think people really understand, you know, the impact of what this can do to America as we know it. But um, after we take a commercial break, we're actually going to have an interview well, before the commercial break, um, I'm still talking about the topics. I'm all over the place right now. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to actually do an interview with a female firearms instructor. And her company goes by the name of Defensive Unicorns. So I'm not going to say anything else about her. I don't want to save it for the interview portion, <laughs> you know. But um, after the commercial break, I do want to dive into the, um, the talk of the National Registry and maybe bring on my buddy, Johnny, who is the owner of CAE Transfers, who is actually sponsoring this week's episode, and get his encounter of what he thinks and what changes has he seen since he's been doing FFL work. And... It's kind of interesting being digitized and, you know, so let's um let's jump into a quick commercial break and come back and dive into the conversation because I'm really interested to hear what you have to say because I know you really dug it, like dove into it. So, but everybody, if you will, if you're in your vehicle, go ahead and hit the cruise control, pull down those sunglasses. If it's cold, turn that heat up a little bit, but make sure you got them seatbelts on. And then lay the seat back just a tad bit, and we'll be back right after these few words from our sponsors. Are you in the market to purchase your first or next firearm, but find the atmosphere of a gun store intimidating, crowded, or uninviting? There's a way for you to purchase the gun you want while avoiding the crowds, the gruff salesmen, and the marked up prices that come with a brick and mortar gun store. The process is called a transfer, where the purchase is made in an online store and sent to a federally licensed middleman called an FFL, who processes the paperwork and background check for a firearm purchase. CAE Transfers is the FFL with the lowest transfer cost in the Midlands at only $20 or $15 with the presentation of a South Carolina concealed weapons permit and $10 for repeat customers. If you live in Columbia, South Carolina or its surrounding areas, choose CAE Transfers as your FFL during checkout and let me help you complete your online gun purchase. You can find and follow CAE Transfers online at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using at CAE Transfers. Thank you for your business and I look forward to seeing you soon. Mental Health and Guns. At Walk the Talk America, we're working with both the mental health community and the gun industry. Created by a gun industry veteran, 
Walk the Talk America seeks to raise awareness and create change through suicide prevention and firearm safety without legislation. We strive to eliminate the prejudice that firearms and mental health face. For more information and to support Walk the Talk America, please visit walkthetalkamerica.org. Hey everyone, John from Outdoor Dynamics here. We're a remanufacturer of ammunition based in Kannapolis, North Carolina. We make everything from 9mm 115 grain to specialized 40 Smith & Wesson. So if you have anything from an open gun to just a standard Glock 19, feel free to reach out to us at OutdoorDynamics.net or we're on Instagram and Facebook with Outdoor.Dynamics. And we're always here for you. Happy to answer any questions you have. All right, good people. We're back at it again. And thank you for listening to that commercial break. And before the commercial break, we actually stated that we were going to talk about this article that Rockstar actually came across talking about a firearm registry here in the nation. And then as many of us have already discovered, it has made big news across the board and everybody is actually contacting their representatives asking questions and trying to remedy this. But how can this be the demise of America as we see it and know it by a gun registry? So what are your thoughts on this rock star and how do you feel and how do you look at this? Oof, well, I am very much against a registry. I don't think that it's constitutional for starters. And then I just think that there are a lot of doors that could be opened up towards the road of confiscation, which I am also not a proponent of at all. So I'm very weary of any sort of registry or having the government know how many firearms anyone knows, what kind of firearms that they have in their household, um, any of that stuff. I'm very much of a, uh, you know, it's none of your business, Uncle Sam. I um, would like to keep it that way. And this particular article that I stumbled upon is from Zero Hedge, which is, I really, I like that website. I feel like they do some good journalism. They do some deep dives into, you know, really important topics. It's, um, yeah, it, it's, I, I think it's a fairly reputable source as well. Um, but essentially the article starts off by, by saying, you know, what proceeds gun confiscation as you look throughout history and it's almost always a registry and it goes on to talk about a couple different things um well one the you know the federal government has been trying to create something like this for for quite a long time and the department of justice the atf this is one of their you know this would be the uh, the creme de creme of, of what they're looking for as far as uh, the second Amendment guns go in America. So it's usually sold to the general populace as, you know, as most things, safety, right? It's about safety and keeping people safe and how do, you know, we can deter crime and stop crime and you'll be a safer citizen if we have this gun registry, which is all garbage in my opinion. It's just a power grab and they package it up with this pretty little bow and try to sell it to you like it's gonna make your life better. Um, 
but I, I don't think that it, that it will. And, you know, it's, it's a tool that they could use to enforce universal background checks or taking firearms away from people who might be deemed quote unquote dangerous for who knows what, for actually being a criminal or for something like mental health reasons. And I just worry that um, going down that road is kind of this point of no return. And it's, you know, it's not going to, to end well for, um, <laughs> for America. Um, there, basically this article talks about that currently um, there has been a database that is about a billion transactions and records long, um, and about 850 million of those are digital, and the uh, ATF has a hold of it. Um, and it's uh, it's it's just really interesting um, to kind of see that. And like I've thought about, you know, when you know you go to purchase a firearm, and you're typing your information into the computer, and you have to give your social and all of that stuff. And I've always been like. I wonder what they do with that. You know, like, I wonder where that's going. I wonder who has access to that information. And um, it kind of sounds like that is the information is going and that the ATF is <sighs> creating this database and just keeping tabs on who has what and, you know, who, who owns what firearm. So, um, yeah, I'm not super thrilled about it. I think there's a lot of different things that we can kind of touch on, but that's kind of the high level of what the article entails. Well, we also got to remember something and let's backtrack this on history and, you know, just regular life as we know it, right? When the computer was formed, that was designed for a way of um, entertainment, reached out to communication, now everybody's looking at it for a means of making their workload a lot easier, processing whatever, paperwork, materials, whatever. And I remember when I was in high school, one of the teachers was saying like, yo, the computer was made so we wouldn't have to be using so much paper anymore. And I was like, okay, cool. And then, of course, that was a whole conversation that we went into about how you store stuff and how that's going to change the way education. Look at us now, like 20 something years later, 30 something years later. You know, now um, looking at that concept, okay, maybe that was a true statement back then, but look at the deceit that went with that now, <laughs> you know, whereas um, back in 2006, that's when they started scanning all these, you know, 4473s and everything else associated with the ATF. Now, supposedly, um, there were so many records, and not only 4473s, but it was like other documents, and a floor collapsed in this building <laughs> where they was keeping these documents. So, therefore, they went forth and said, hey, we need to go ahead and digitize this. Now, when everything got digitized and the word got out, Congress stepped in and told them they need to get rid of that. You know, so they got rid of it. But then when they actually brought it back again, 
now it was, well, we don't have a way of tracking. But let's really think about this. Your kid can come up with something because if it's digitized, right, you can put certain words, just like a PDF document, control F and you can put a word in, right? And then on that document, it'll highlight all those words <laughs> that it finds, the, and, but, you know, truck, whatever word you're looking for. So, I mean, that's not feasible to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But as you stated at the beginning, every time you look in history, when there is a gun confiscation, there was always some form of, hey, we need to know what you got. You know, now it's, hey, you need to turn it in. Oh, you don't turn it in. Now you're considered a criminal. We're coming to arrest you or whatever the case may be. You know, but now what about a data breach? Look at all the information that's on the 4473. Now, how many data breaches have we had in the last two years? So many. Yeah, and it was all, what, medical reasons? And then think about the medical <laughs> information that's on there, like on those forms. You know, so and your address, your name, full name, um, how many firearms you got, what you got, right? They can very much have a very detailed list and... Um, this can get ugly very fast, but yeah. So now look at all the other nations that don't have firearms. Like, and one example I like to use because it's relevant to not being that long ago was World War II, right? So of course, when Hitler was doing everything in Germany, that's what they did. They started that registry. Okay, well, bring in what you got. We're going to protect you, but look at how that turned out right same thing happened in venezuela not too long ago a couple years ago yeah you know, so this is getting crazy so um how do you think this is going to turn out and do you think this administration is going to run with it or they're going to uphold what was passed in the law a couple years ago I think they're gonna wait to do anything till after the midterms. I don't think they're, I don't think they're gonna do anything too drastic until that happens because I think the Democrats are going to face major upheaval, um, and they're trying to mitigate that as much as possible. <laughs> well, I think um, a lot of things are gonna happen, and of course, I'm a firm believer in a politician is gonna tell you what you want to hear until they get in the office and then they're going to backtrack or they're going to try to make it sound like, well, I said I was going to do this. I never said I was going to, you just assumed this was going to happen, you know? And um, is it right? Is it fair? I don't know. I just don't trust politicians because obviously greed is in play, right? But I do believe that term limits need to be set forth for politicians. You know, so if the president has a term limit, why doesn't Congress or the Senate? You know, so what has actually, and I think having those term limits, it will correct matters that are not resolved. Let's put it like that. You know, so even when you turn around and you look at it, okay, so... Let's look at the justice system. 
justice is fair when you turn around and you look at it. It's just the people that are sitting in the seats that are not doing the right thing. You know, so we're saying quality is what needs to be spread across the country. Okay, well, quality is not across the country in a fair manner because depending on who you talk to, they're going to say like, oh, look, we got two different forms of America. You know what I'm saying? So why do you want one group not to have something and another group can have it and be good with it? You know, so let's look at kids also. You got one group of kids that do something that's looked at as, oh, they're undisciplined. They're unruly. This is how they're going to grow up to be criminals. But another group of kids do the same actions. Oh, they're just kids. They're just having fun. You know, <laughs> so turn that into society as a whole now. You know, so is this gun registry going to be the means of, okay, you can have firearms, but you can't have firearms? Or, hey, we're going to get rid of this all together. But will that be what it takes to bring the people together? You know, so it's just a twist, turn, and, you know, what thoughts, thoughts. Tell me your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, honestly, it could go both ways, right? Like, it, in theory, when they, when any politician is sworn into office, they're supposed to uphold the Constitution and protect America and do all these things. But I think a lot of times, um you see people who are influenced by outside dollars and they get into office and they're not necessarily representing we the people or the constitution or anything that we elected them to do for, for us. <laughs> so that part is frustrating. And so I do agree with the whole term limit idea and um, because at some point it stops being about servitude and it starts being about money. I mean, so many of those politicians leave office and they're worth millions of dollars and their salary is, you know, what, a couple, like $175,000 a year or something like that. And you leave and you're worth $10 million. Like, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely see a lot of issues with the way that the government is currently running and operating. I'm not a fan of the, uh, they're not necessarily beholden to the voters, they're beholden to the people that are paying for their campaign or giving them the hookup once they leave office or, you know, once you're in that club, you're just, you're living in a completely different world than the people who voted you into office are. So I think that's problematic. Um, I do hope that we, well, I mean, <laughs> as we move more or into a digital world, it's really hard to even say that something like this would go away because I think that's just that's just where we're headed. And it's so easy to collect information on people. And in you know, a perfect world, we would have politicians who were more concerned about privacy laws and really cared about our digital footprint and the information that's being collected. The problem is like half the people in Congress are like 80 years old and don't even know what, <laughs> what the internet is. So there are definitely issues, uh, just kind of the world that we live in versus the people who are representing us in said world. So I, I think that it's going to become an 
even larger battle <clears throat> in the upcoming years. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of stuff with, and we're already seeing it um, in some countries with the COVID passport being a digital passport. And what other information and data <clears throat> and profiles are they going to be building on citizens? And you know what I mean? So it's like this whole digital era that we're entering. And I, as cool as it is, and as much as I like the consolidation of information and, and um, the convenience of it all, I also worry about the nefarious side of things and how can that data be used against you? And how can, you know, if people do steal your, people can already steal your identity and open up new bank accounts and things like that. But, you know, at what point can someone steal your identity and really get you into a lot of trouble? And then, you know, then I always think like, well, what, what would stop the FBI or the CIA or some other organization from breaking into your account and framing you for something? You know what I mean? It can just be this completely, it all of a sudden becomes like a sci-fi movie. <laughs> That's pretty much how life is staring. But let's even look at it further. All right. So how many people wear a mask when they go to work? you know you're a gun guy or a gun person right you go to work but the people who are responsible for your career or maintaining your career you know the verbiage is not there finds out you're a gun guy now do they turn their back on you do they fire you <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So like if that information was to get out, right? And perfect example, how many people are unaware of how many actors and actresses are heavily into firearms, right? Now, I can't say um, Holly Berry's a, a gun nut. I can't say that. But I can tell you that she dove into it pretty thick when she was doing her role for John Wick. You know, if Bad Boys wasn't, you know, catered the way that it was catered, would you have known that Will Smith was a gun person? Right. And there are a couple other celebrities that I know are gun people, but I'm just not at liberty to say that because, you know, some people actually said to me, hey, don't share this and or, you know, don't let it come out. I'm, All right, cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But this gun registry, what if that was to leak out and it went to somebody who had something against somebody? Now they put it out. Now that's going to affect their livelihood. You know, just off of, you know, the representation that you're presenting yourself to be, you know, because easiest way to say it, everybody who you see in front of a camera who talks tough is not tough. That's the easiest way to put it, you know, because now when that truth comes out, now you're going to really see who they really are, you know, right. but one of those type things, one of those type things, but I am not a fan of the registry in any type of way, right? Um, I believe some of the questions on the registry should not be there. 
but I also believe why do you go through all that hassle to get a tool that's already associated with your social security number? Okay, so either way you look at it, it's like you're going to walk into some form of a trap, depending on who you talk to and how they word it. That's going to have you slip up and say, oh, so we need universal background checks. Oh, no, 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 we don't need a universal background check. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, so then we need to do that. No, we don't need to do this, <laughs> you know, but like, how do you actually come up with a streamlined way of saying, okay, this is how we're going to do this in the event that everybody does the correct stuff they're supposed to do? Right. You know what I'm saying? Because even when you do a reverse trace on getting a firearm, isn't that some form of a registry in a way yeah. of thinking? Because you can actually trace like your firearm right now all the way to the factory and how many hands it went through. So it went through this right. distributor, went to this company, you know, then it got shipped to this company and then it got to you. You can actually like they can actually track that right now. Like if it was any type of a uh, investigation, in the sense of speaking, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, how do we punch a hole in it? How do we get the remedy? I believe everything you're hearing right now, it's in um, uh, conflict control. No, not conflict control. What do they call that when um, stuff gets chaotic and then people try to control it? and um, keep it under wraps? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I used to have a first oh, sergeant. Damage control. damage control. Yeah, damage control. I had a first sergeant that used to always say that, oh, we're in damage control. <laughs> Got into a firefight. How's that damage control? They shot at us, you know? But um, I think right now, um, that's how it's going to be looked at. And then you're going to get a bunch of excuses. Oh, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. And then after the midterm um, elections, um, now you're going to see them run for it with everything. Yeah, full speed ahead. Yes, I, that's what I believe. Just like the whole um, COVID situation. I've been telling everybody, I was like, all these restrictions and all this nonsense, it's going to be lessened um, right around the midterm elections. You know, and I think... Um, I heard somebody talking the other day saying something like over in Europe, they're removing the restrictions and they're just yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's just like the seasonal flu. But wasn't we saying that two years ago? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? But I don't know. I don't know. So um, I wanted to actually get my buddy Johnny on. But he's saying he's busy, so we're going to have to save that conversation for a later date. But I want to go ahead and dive into another commercial break and um, have this interview with um, Defensive Unicorns. And I now to let everybody know, I don't know who Defensive Unicorns are, is, what they do other than firearms. This was somebody that Rockstar actually met at one of the train and learn events that she went to. And she's actually had, you know, interactions with the person. And she says, the, you know, the female is very positive, which 
I believe that's what the firearm community needs, more positive figures in it. Now, I went on her Instagram and um, her website and started looking up stuff because that's what I do whenever I talk to people. I try to learn a little bit about them. So I let them know, like, okay, I know this about you. And then it's going to open up a little bit. But um, I'm actually looking forward to that. So I um, hope you got your questions together. <laughs> and um, But let's go ahead and dive into this commercial break. And um bring on Danny from Defensive Unicorns and talk to her for a little bit. All right. So if everybody will, um, please go ahead and refresh your drinks, utilize the restroom if you have to, come on back. And here are a few words from our sponsors. JM4 Tactical has developed a state-of-the-art polymer holster that will quickly become your go-to holster. With high-quality hermit oak leather, securely sewn to the interior of the molded outer Bolteron shell, your draw becomes silent and no more scratches up and down your firearm. When seconds count, you can rest assured that you will have the upper hand when you need it most. Whether you carry open or concealed, the Relic Holster is available in four different models, fitting over hundreds of different style guns. The new reliable, easy, light, individual carry holster by JM4 Tactical. Order your relic today at jm4tactical.com. Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm gonna be, come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself. Find out why shooters across the United States are changing the Hunter's HD Gold to get 43% more light to their eyes, better contrast, eyes that are not fatigued at the end of the day based on the, the colors that we use, and find out the real meaning of why they change so you don't have to. So check us out on our website, huntershdgold.com, and I look forward to seeing you at the range soon. What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please, go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. All right, good people, we're back at it again. And thank you for sitting through that commercial break. And as we stated at the beginning of the show, we have someone here that we're gonna interview and she goes by the name of Danny. And as I stated at the beginning, this is Rockstar's friend. So y'all already know Rockstar has been trolling me all week. And she was the one that said, hey, I know somebody interesting that we can bring on to the show. So. She reached out to her. She said yes, and she is now here. So um, let me ask Rockstar, because now what we did was we flipped the roles. So now we got Rockstar on the phone because I was like, you're on timeout. Get off the camera. You're on the phone. You know, so she was like, okay, well, I'll be listening, but I'll be talking behind your back. <laughs> so, <laughs> but let me ask you, Rockstar, um, what 
do you know about Danny and her training and her involvement in 2A? Yeah, so I met Danny at the Train and Learn event last year, which was awesome. It was a really great group of women who came out and just, you know, we really bonded. Um, I think we were all really open-minded and excited to be there, and we all had a lot to learn from one another. And Danny was just someone that really stood out to me. Um, she's super sweet. She's very professional. She's got a really empowering story. And I do think that it's just really important that we get more and more women in the 2A space. And, um, you know, she is an instructor. She's training avidly. She posts really good content on her social media. So she's someone who is really you know, walking the walk and talking the talk. And, and she's just a great resource. So when I was thinking of people who can add value to the show and to the audience, she she came to mind. So I'm, I'm really excited to chat with her today. Hey, there you have it. So um, let's go ahead and bring forth Danny from Defense of Unicorns and hear what she has to say and welcome her. And we're going to learn about her together. Because like I said, I never heard of her until Rockstar says something. So Without further ado, bringing forth Danny from Defensive Unicorns. Welcome to the M-W Tactical Podcast. So how's it going for you there, Danny? I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. Hey, that's it right there. So um, <laughs> starting off, since I don't know who you are, and we just roughly talked for a couple of minutes before right. um, we came on air. Um. Who is Danny and how did you come up with Defensive Unicorns? Okay, so I am a female instructor from Philadelphia. Um, I have now moved to Georgia where I'm trying to also do training. I've been doing training with some uh, private lessons out here, but I haven't gone mainstream yet. But I do have a good amount of classes I'm doing in Philadelphia. Um, I'm also a domestic violence survivor, so um, that's what actually brought me to the two-way is I went through a domestic situation in my past marriage, and um, I didn't have a lot of resources, so I wanted to be able to eventually provide more resources for women that were going through what I went through, and one of them resources was being able to defend yourself. So that was a big goal of mine. Um, I'm also a mother of three boys. Um, and yeah, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> All right. So now um, you have to educate me on this because of okay. um, domestic violence is something that's not in my realm. No. My thing is, is like if I ever get into a disagreement with somebody, I just walk away. It's the but, smartest thing to do. Yeah. And, and I understand a lot of people are not geared or wired like that. You right. Because I don't believe in arguing with somebody. I believe in if it does get heated, separate for a little bit, come back and talk, resolve it and move forward from there. Like I said, a lot of people are not wired like that. So yeah. could you or are you willing to mm -hmm. tell your story and how was the involvement with the domestic violence side of it, meaning the resources of people that was helping? All right. Okay. So of course I will share because I want, you know, to be able to let people know what I went through. So people that are going through it can, you know, know that there's other ways, but, um, I was married, like I said, um, 
and my husband at the time was at the wrong place in the wrong time and he got into I guess you could call it incident there was a shooting and he got hurt and at that time um they put him on Percocets pain pills so he just became like a whole nother person from them pills and he had a lot of self-esteem issues because you know he couldn't work and he could work but he didn't want to work <laughs> he just had a lot of stuff that was going on so um I guess I was the punching bag at the time so I sort of tried to you know be as comfortable as I can um when it came to talking to him about stuff I would be like you know it's okay you're going through this and I guess some people would say I sort of babied him through his situation um and it just made it easier for him to sort of you know blame me for everything so um as time went on you know it started with just the yelling and the verbal abuse uh, then from there, it became like the mental abuse, like pretty much like, oh, you think you're better than me? You ain't nothing. And um, at the time, I already had two children. Um, so it was just me trying to, I guess, sort of deal for them was like the biggest part for me. Um, and then I also didn't want him to feel like he went through what he went through and then I left. So I'm also a nurse. So I tried to stay with him and do everything I could for him um, medically, you know, to help him get back to his normal health. And he got back to his normal health, but he just never got back to where he needed to be mentally to him. So um, as time went on, it just, like I said, a lot of verbal abuse and then became controlling, like controlling my money, what I do with my money, where I go. Um, taking my car stuff like that and then from there it became like if you don't do this I'll make a scene in front of the kids you know and him knowing that I would protect my kids no matter what you know that was like sort of his way of always getting over um and then after a while I started to try to plan before like so when he would go certain places, I would know that he would come home and it would be some type of reaction. So I started to like, oh, I'm gonna take the kids over to my mom's house or, you know, I'm gonna stay out or I'm gonna do this. And then that's when it became like the physical of like, oh, you think you slick, you trying to do this. Or I stopped carrying cash and I started having my car, you know? So then he couldn't just take my money, but he knew that I was like trying to be a step ahead of him. So then everything became like super physical really quick. So it came like a grab to like a choke and stuff like that. And then me trying to avoid things happening in front of my kids. Um, I started just giving him whatever it was that he wanted. Um, but it was just, it was just a lot. It was a lot of one thing we weren't, bills weren't being paid. Um, so our livelihood was our, at stake. So it, it got to a point where it was like, I had to figure it out and, you know, stop things from what they were. Um, I did call the police a couple times, um, but I also was a person that I did still really care for him. So it was like, I thought about him having, at the time he had a heart condition. So when I say he got shot, he actually got shot, shot in his heart. Um, but he actually lived, he healed perfectly from it. Um, 
but um, I was always afraid he would go to jail and he would die in there, get some type of sickness or something like that. So I tried to avoid the police thing for a while, but when it just got too bad and my kids, I started noticing that my kids were noticing the abuse. Um, I started calling, but at the time being married to somebody and y'all being on the same lease, it was really hard to, you know, get him out of the house or get anything done. So. Gotcha. I gotcha. Well, that's, uh, I'm really glad that you shared your story and I'm sorry that you had to go through that and had to deal with a situation like that. Um, I watched one of my best friends, her husband went through uh, sort of a similar situation. He was a construction worker and was injured on the job and ended up getting hooked on painkillers. And he didn't turn abusive, but he did turn uh, basically into just a thief because he was trying to, you know, fund his pills. And just, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, so you're, you know, I, I can I can sympathize with your with your story. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I think you brought up a couple of really interesting points, right? I think one was, you know, trying to uh, to kind of like be a step ahead, right? Like you knew if he went a certain place, he was going to act a certain way, or mm-hmm. you know, if you cash on it, he was going to take it. How has that um, mindset helped you in your firearms training? How is that like being a step ahead? Um, I feel like it helps a lot. I feel like you know, even then, when um, of course it didn't always help the way I wanted because he eventually caught on. But at at the beginning of me doing it, you know, I was a step ahead of him. And I definitely did pay attention to things like, you know, his mood changes and, um, you know, when certain things he would do or he would say, I would be like, oh, his money is running out. You know, just paying attention to certain things. I'm like, oh, he's going to hit me up for money soon. So I feel like when it comes to now, my life period, it's like I'm always trying to pay attention to everything that's going on around me. Um, so when when it comes to me training other people it's the same way I tell them like you know pay attention to your surroundings you know pay attention to things that's going around um that's going on around you so many people they they self-focus which is it's a good thing to self-focus but at the same note you have to be able to be mindful of what's going on around you so many people don't pay attention to that so um, opening people's eyes to like, did you notice this? You know, like sometimes I'll have a class and people will come into the classroom through the range and I'll ask them something like, oh, did you see the lady in the front with the red shirt? And, you know, so many people are like, what lady? You know, they're not paying no attention. And, and to me, it's like, it's red, it's bright. So I feel like it's eye catching. I'm like, you really didn't see that lady, you know, like right in the front, <laughs> like, no. And then I'll sort of point out like, see, you know what I mean? That could have been a threat to you. You know, you just never know. So it's just paying attention to stuff that's going on. Um, And then when it comes to stuff like home invasions or, you know, now we have all the carjackings and stuff like that, paying attention to stuff that's going on around you. You see somebody walk in front of you and then they circle back and they walk, you know, paying attention, knowing now, okay, I'm across the street or I'm going to go where more people are. So I'm not by myself. So I try to tell people all the time, just pay attention to what's going on. It definitely helps. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's that's valid points. Um, as far as being situationally aware of um your surroundings and what's going on, so you're not a victim, just not a domestic situation, but um right. any type of situation, right? Because um, 
everything that's garnered right now from the pandemic to people not having jobs, people are going to start taking stuff yep. just to make means for what they need to do for survival and their family, if possible. That's you so know. true. Yeah. So now earlier you said like you wanted to get involved with um, the different groups and possibly opening up or starting a nonprofit. Mm-hmm to give more resources for domestic violence um, victims. What disadvantages did you come across when you were seeking out the help that you wish somebody would have been like, okay, this right here could have been an avenue you could have took that made your experience a little bit more helpful? Um, To be completely honest, and it's no shame to the police or, you know, the way the um, industry, like the, the, everything works at city hall. But, um, when I went through what I went through for one thing, when I actually got, I guess you can say what they actually filed me as a domestic violence survivor, I wasn't allowed to own a firearm. So that was a big thing, um, that I think was totally wrong. Um, because he can have whatever he wants, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he wasn't in charge with anything. Um, but me making the phone calls and um, pretty much asking for help, it made me like a red flag. And then um, another thing was nobody never told me anything about protecting myself. You know, I even met female officers that came to my house and they're like, hey, you know, go get a protection order. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so how does how does that work? You know, and they're like, oh, you go to the office and they'll explain it. I'm like, okay. You go down there, you sit there for hours. Um, it's it's a headache, a really bad headache. You, you sit there for a whole bunch of hours and then you got somebody really questioning you, like, do you really want this? And I get it. A lot of people, they go do it and they don't follow through with it. I understand. But it's like, if you're making it so much of a hassle, you're going to turn a lot of people away you know, and um, even at this point, I still tell, you know, um, survivors that I know to get that paper trail because it's really important in the long run. If something is to happen, you know, you have that paper trail. But to me, like the protective order did nothing for me. Um, I had two protection orders. Um, I had one which the court gave me um, the first time they came to my house and I had like seriously like fingerprints on my neck um, and had like passed out (laughs) and they and then I woke up I called the cops they came um, they took me to the office they took pictures I met down to district they took pictures and then they gave me a pamphlet the pamphlet had my doc number on it and then I went down to city hall where um, they gave me an emergency protective order I was like okay cool Um, he was still on my lease at the time Um, we were still married because you can't just get a divorce that quick you know even if you file it it's a whole process so um I was trying to get him off my lease, which was also a very hard process because being he had the heart condition that he had, um, me trying to get him off the lease was like me kicking him out on the streets, you know, and he wasn't healthy. So it, it was it was a super hard fight. And then um, the protective order was like, oh, it can't come but so f- close to you. But at the same note, it's like you had to go to court with your abuser and prove that he was an abuser. 
and then also had to deal with this person because they still weren't really off your lease, you know? So if he, he could come to the house, um, he could come to the house to try to get stuff or see the kids or whatever situation was. Um, but at the same note, I had this protective order that's supposed to say that he has to stay, you know, a certain amount of distance from me. So it was just real messy. It really didn't make any sense. Yeah, so they wind up, yeah, it didn't make any sense. I was saying, I was about to say, and not to interrupt you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you go into court to face your accuser. And who didn't come? He did, he never came. So. Right, so now let's say if he did come, and like I said, yeah. I don't know you or your personality, but what right. if you were somebody who was in the same room with this guy trying to explain what took place with you? And I had a to lot do of that women, later. Yeah, and a lot of women can't do that because now it's like, if I say the wrong thing, terrified. And he runs to me, you know, it's... And then you go outside. So I want, I did wind up doing the court thing later. I actually wound up doing that during my divorce because he tried to get alimony from me. <laughs> so I wound up doing that because of my divorce. And when I did that, um, I had to explain, you know, my abuse. So I had pictures, I had doc numbers, you know, I had everything. Um, and he was there. And when we left court, he was just right in the front of the court with me. I had to go back inside there to feel safe. Like nobody walked me out. Nobody made sure, you know, we didn't leave at the same time. It's just, it was crazy. Wow. So now through that ordeal, obviously that was your motivation to, like you said, to protect yourself. But right. now how did you take that motivation and steer it to I'm going to become a firearms instructor versus I'm just going to learn how to shoot a firearm and protect me and my for myself. Kids. Yeah. So I, I started out, like I said, wanting to protect me and my kids. And then from there, I wanted, um, cause I have an older son, um, who I felt was old enough to start training. So, um, I wanted him to get trained. Uh, I had someone else train him at first because, of course, I wasn't an instructor. Um, then as time went on and I trained and trained myself, you know, I just felt myself always teaching him more, always teaching him more. Um, but that still wasn't even what made me want to be an instructor. What did it for me was I would go to the range and I would see um, some males, usually a boyfriend, sometimes an instructor, teaching females. And it was just a very... <laughs> I would say a very aggressive lesson <laughs> so a lot of times you would see them and it's like yo just just shoot in the middle you just just hit in the middle you know and it's just certain ways me it could be me personally because I have met some other females and they're like oh I don't mind you know someone aggressively pushing me while I'm learning that's perfectly fine but I know me as a survivor that's really hard for someone to like bark order orders at me you know what I'm saying or for somebody to be yelling at me and put me under all that pressure I can't learn that way so I was just watching them and you know I was seeing like how terrible they were doing and I'm like I feel like it's because of you know the way it's being taught so I would try to you know sneak up not being an instructor um myself yet and I would try to wait for, you know, them to separate because I didn't want to cause any conflicts. And I'd be like, hey, you know, just try this and, you know, try taking a deep breath and try doing different stuff. And after going to the range so many times and just running into women at the range and them asking me for help and me helping them, um, people started asking me like, yo, you should be an instructor. Why you're not an instructor? And then 
I started thinking to myself, like, maybe I should, <laughs> you know? And then from there, I just continued my training. And then I went and did the certification test and it just went from there. So now um, you said at this point in time, you felt like your son was old enough. Yeah. You, how many children do you have? So I have three boys. My youngest is five. Um, then I have a 13-year-old now and an 18-year-old. <laughs> okay. But at the time, yeah, when I started, he was my oldest, was about 15. Okay. Um, yeah, so. So let me ask you, um, what age do you think is appropriate for children to be taught firearms? Honestly, I think it's different for each child. I feel like you can tell the maturity of your child, especially if it's your child, you know them. Mm -hmm. If they're able to, for one, keep ears on because you don't want somebody that's taking the ears off and on. Um, you know, as long as they can do everything in a safe way and you feel like they're mature enough to take in the education, they're ready. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a question that gets asked to me all the time. And that's my answer yeah. is it all depends on the maturity level of that child. Yeah. Now, for me and by me doing competition shooting, of course, you know, I would like to push my daughter into competition shooting. Right. <laughs> but. I also understand the importance of her developing and coming up with her own interests. Because mm-hmm. um, like, even when I look at myself, when I was growing up, my father was trying to push me and my brother to um, learn how to fix on vehicles. I never had a desire to become an auto mechanic. Right. But I did pick up on stuff on, okay, I know how to do this as far as fixing a car. Yeah. It wasn't my interest. I knew I didn't want to make that a livelihood. It was just, okay, that's a necessity for life. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of parents do that. My dad wanted yeah. me to be a, a, a foot doctor. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something to help out. Something to help <laughs> right. out. Right. Like, I got bad feet, so you need to be a podiatrist. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So um, now, so when you said, like, um, you had went through your training, Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did you start your, um, instruction certification? Cause that's how y'all do it up in Philadelphia, right? Yeah, I actually did mine in, um, where did I do it? Maryland. Yeah. I actually went to, um, 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 oh my God, why name not coming to my head? I got a brain, uh, a brain freeze. <laughs> um, but uh yeah I actually went to Maryland to do mine they weren't really doing them in my area at the time um the actual instructor served so I went to um teller defense training and I went out there and got mine done by a kill bay okay okay yeah so it's like I was telling um rockstar a few times when we were talking like mm-hmm. I think people in the military and ex-police officers give the 2A community a bad name. And when I say that, I'm saying it more along the lines of, that's what people, I used to be in the military. Yes. And like I told Kevin, you know, KD, and Mm -hmm. I tell everybody, just because you're in the military doesn't mean you know how to shoot. And I had to to prove that to KD one time. (laughs) 
know what I'm saying? Was, right. But the the thing, it was different for me because of the fact being infantry, that was my job. I had to know how to shoot, right? Yeah. Especially as a leader. But yeah. what if I was um, a cook in, uh, in the military? Yeah, that's completely you know true. Medical. Some people never go, you know, past the training. So, yeah. you know. Well, you know, in the Army, um, it was only required that you go to the range two times a year to qualify. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But infantry yep. is different because, okay, yeah. our job is shooting. And to shoot, yeah. Got to be accurate and all this. Of course. Um, <laughs> but I just don't like it when people abuse that notion. Yeah. You and it gets saying? abused a lot. It yes. does. Yeah. Um, especially at the range. I run into that at the range a lot. Um, even like I said, the the boyfriend, girlfriend, the wife, husband, I go there and um, you know, I'll be shooting and she might be watching and I say, Hey, come on, like you wanna try, you know, try to get her in and she'll come in and I'll help her. You know, she'll be excited, like, look, you know, I hit it, I hit the target, yeah. you know, and she'll be like, Well, you know, I'm military and I did this, 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 and it's like, okay, you know, like I can't, you know, I can't. I'm not going to argue with you and I'm definitely not going to, it's up to her. If she wants to take my number later and give me a call, fine, you know, but that's, that's as far as it's going to (laughs) go. Yo, you have any more questions, uh, Rockstar? I think, um, no, well, actually I do have one question just about, you talked a little bit about, um, Kind of like what your what your future might hold obviously you just moved to a new location um mm-hmm. where, where do you see yourself like how do you see yourself expanding as both an instructor and a 2a advocate um you know coming up in the next year or two um so like i said still building here um i definitely have been reaching out to a lot of the domestic violence groups that's out here in georgia Um, One of my hardest things is that, of course, domestic violence groups don't want firearms involved. Um, That's almost everywhere. Um, I understand it to a certain extent because they look at it as, you know, self-harm. And I get that. But at the same note, a lot of my students are domestic violence survivors. Um, So it's like, I feel like there's a certain point where you have to be to be able to, you know, start thinking about training your yourself or your kids to defend yourself. Um, I wouldn't say go through something right away and then go buy a firearm. You know, that's not going to solve anything. But I do think that it's something that should be able to be spoken of, even if it's hand in hand protection, you know, just just anything. I feel like you're sort of you're blocking them out by being like, oh yeah, you got to call the cops. The cops are going to save your life. You know, like everything is from the cops. And it's like, I just feel like that it's not fair. Um, but at the same note, I have been through so much um, domestic violence wise that I'm willing to just go to groups and just talk about what I've been through. I'm willing to go to groups and be like, hey, I was in your shoes and now, you know, I'm here. Um, even if I don't talk about the firearm stuff, like just the mental behind it, you really go through a lot um, from loving somebody so much that abuses you and being able to separate that love for that person to have that love for yourself, you know, to be like, I have to love me more, you know, I have to 
care about my kids. I have to do all this stuff and being able to separate it and not feel like a bad person. Because when you go through stuff like that, you you fall in this pit where you sort of you're like, did I do the right thing? You know, you're like, um, is there something else I could have did? There's there's so many feelings that you go through when you become a survivor. So, um, and then being able to trust somebody again or love again, that's a big thing. And um, being able to be happy. Some people are so depressed because they just can't find a way to really move on in their lives. So being able to just talk to people and you know, show them there's something better at the end, you know, um, that's big for me. So I plan on at least being able to start a nonprofit and trying to give people resources, good resources. When I went through what I went through, the most that I got was a protective order and a shelter. Um, a lot of mothers with kids don't really want to go to a shelter. It's really less resource. It's, it's like your last, <laughs> literally, like you have nothing else because um, you're around strangers. Your kids are around strangers. It's not always the cleanest place. Um, there's just a lot that comes with it. People steal from you. You could still get harmed. Your kids can get harmed. Um, they're doing a lot better, but a lot of those places aren't really supervised the way they should be. So um, I want to be able to provide good shelters. I want to be able to provide, um, even if I get you know money saved up where if somebody's, like I have to leave right now and I could pay for their hotel for the night, you know? Um, if I could tell someone, hey, I could give you some money to start this bank account that your husband won't know about and you can save money here, you know, because sometimes it's taking that little bit of money or that little bit of time to go try to set up something, you know, to plan ahead that can be very damaging to somebody in a domestic violence situation, because if you get caught, you know, then it's like once once an abuser knows that you're really going to leave and you're planning to leave, it's a whole nother situation. It, it's way worse than um, than it is when they think you're just going to deal with it. So a lot of people that's on the outside looking in, you know, everybody's favorite line is, why don't you just leave? You know, why you ain't just leave? And they don't understand it's it's way more to it than just leaving. You know, you have to safely leave. And then if you have kids, you have to have somewhere to go, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so, so I want to be able to give people dumb resources of where you can go. Tell them, yeah, paperwork is still important. Get your protective order, but at the end of the day, don't depend on it to save your life, you know? Um, tell people about training. Like I said, even if it's hand-to-hand combat, whatever, um, just learning some stuff that can save your life. Um, paying attention, like I said, thinking ahead, um, all types of stuff. I want to be able to just help people where I didn't have that help. Um, even firearm classes, if people get to that point and I can provide them with free firearm classes where they don't have to pay out their pocket um, because I'm sure they don't have it, you know? Um, just whatever I can do. So that's what I want to do in the future. I want to be able to provide that for domestic violence survivors. I want to be able to just keep helping women. I want to be able to teach the kids. We got so much kids that's learning on the streets. Um, I want to, you know, try to help wherever I can with that. And I feel like if you take the, um, you know, the 
if you if you take the experience and you go about it safely, when they come across that same situation in the streets, they're not interested anymore. You know, because they it's like that's old to them now. So mm-hmm. I feel like if we could provide that for more kids, we could definitely make a difference. Right. So um, now I want to go into a a section. These questions Mm -hmm. are going to be a little bit more difficult for you, but they're they're fun. They're fun. Okay. All right. So I call (laughs) this a quick fire. Okay. All right. So now you got to put on your thinking cap. So you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. So here we go. (laughs) Now, whatever I say, it's however you think about it you're you set the situation so like okay. if i happen to say um nine millimeter or 45 and if you happen to say uh is it self-defense or is it real life it's your determination whatever you want okay. it to be all right okay so here's the first question mm-hmm. loyalty or respect look I, i'm ready to ask you a question like is am i giving it or am i receiving it like <laughs> you want to proceed <laughs> okay <laughs> um yeesh. loyalty hmm. okay all right um full size or compact hmm. compact okay one in the chamber or not chamber <laughs> all right um iron sights or red dot red dot smith and wesson or glock glock <laughs> mm. open carry or conceal carry conceal okay stock sights or fiber optic sights fiber optics <laughs> mm. Kydex holster or leather holster? Kydex. Safety or no safety? No safety. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, Shot show or NRA? Shot show. Hmm. Indoor range or outdoor range? Outdoor. Hmm. Rain or extreme hot? Rain. Speed or accuracy? Accuracy. Okay. And um, Jesse Harrison or Julie Galop? <laughs> Who is that? Oh wow! Okay. If you don't know, no, don't worry about it. Well, je- both of them are competition shooters, right? Oh, see, I don't watch that much competition. I need yeah. to. Yeah, both of them, both of them do. um, They're very active with female engagement in the firearm community. And um, both of them out shoot 90% of the guys (laughs) that shoot competition shooting also. Yeah, so um, Julie Galab used to be in the army. And um, Jesse Harrison, um, her father got her into shooting. And she used to do like the cowboy action shooting. And then she came forward and... um, Start doing a uh, regular USPSA and ninety two type shooting. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, I definitely got to look them up. See, yeah, they got it right there. <laughs> All right, so now <laughs> let me ask you this one because um, uh, what were we at? All right, so what do you shoot? Because you said red dot, 
over iron mm. sights. So what what are what are you carrying and what do you prefer to shoot? So I actually right now, because I'm deciding if I want to cut my slide or not, I'm actually carrying um, a Walter PPS M2 LE and it has um, iron sights on it. It actually has night sights. But um, I'm debating if I want to get a red dot or not. Um, it's just whatever red dot I get, you know, once you cut your slide, I'm stuck with it. So um, I have an issue with my eye where I have stigmatism. So it's changing up on me almost every year. So I have adjusted from the actual red dot um, I used to use before to now I use the green triangle and it sort of helps with my stigmatism. So I just worry that if I cut my slide for a certain optic and then I have an issue and I have to change it, then I have to do you know everything all over again. Um, but I do have a firearm with optic on it, um, which I also have for my home protection, which is my main home protection. Um, and that is a Glock 17. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. Now, um, have you ever had or been in a discussion of what's the best firearm protection for home, AR, handgun, or shotgun? Or have you even thought about that before? I have had uh, a lot of, I had students ask me about stuff like that. I have been around instructors that are just talking about stuff like that. And um you know, a lot of times people automatically be like, well, I think the best thing is the, the, the uh, rifle, you know, it's usually like, oh, it's the AR. And then sometimes you get, but you know, the shotgun, I don't have to shoot as many shots, you know? <laughs> and then you get some people that are like, but the shotgun gonna take your ormo, especially my students. They will straight up be like, I'm, I have tried so many times to do a woman's shotgun class and they will not do it. <laughs> they will not. And I'm like, I'm telling you guys, it's not that bad. I'm like, we can do, we can put some bird shot in there. They're like, no, <laughs> like they, oh, wow. they're not trying to hear it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. a lot of times when I have that discussion about um, what is the best um, firearm for home protection, um, I run down everything. You know what I'm saying? Um, whereas why I think the shotgun is better, why do I think the AR is better, and why do I think the handgun may be better? But then again, you also got to look at it from the standpoint is that a lot of people might can't afford the AR and the shotgun. They just have the handgun. Or they might just have one handgun. You know what I'm saying? So pretty much what I, when I sum it all up, the answer pretty much is whatever you feel comfortable with shooting, if you have all three, or if you have a plethora of firearms, whatever you feel mm -hmm. more comfortable shooting, but mm -hmm. it really comes down to is um, how well trained are you on all of it? Yeah, that gonna, is true. Yeah, Cause you're gonna resort back to the last thing that you're more familiar with. And yeah. you might not even pick up a firearm when somebody breaks into your home. You might just go hand to hand if that's what right. you, you know. Right, that's what you know what you whatever. could do. Yep, 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 that's that is so true. I agree with that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> So let me see if I remember correctly. Uh, Rockstar's answers were a little bit different than yours on the um, quick fire. Yeah, well, I, th I think I'd be giving Rockstar such a hard time sometimes. She'd be like, "Oh Lord, I'm trying to forward think me," but she'd be out thinking me all the time. <laughs> yeah. So you have any more questions there, um, Rockstar? 
I don't think so. I had a really good time listening to your story, Danny. Thanks again for coming mm-hmm. on with us today. Yeah. So thank I, you. Yeah, I do want to thank Rockstar for um actually suggesting you because actually I had like a lot of fun and um learned a lot from listening to you also. And um like man, I should have like found out about you what four years ago? <laughs> Something like that. Oh. But then again, oh. like I said, um what I met Rockstar like not too long ago when we was in Tennessee. That was my first time meeting her. But um the video that she had that went viral i didn't know that was her video somebody else oh. told me that and i was like oh i saw that video i didn't know that was her was like, oh. right <laughs> yeah so um but yeah she's awesome yeah so i, I do thank you for coming on to the m-w tactical podcast and um as i stated beforehand um thank you again rockstar for suggesting danny from defensive unicorns and, thank um, you rockstar yeah. <laughs> so now before we depart um mm-hmm. can you tell the good people how they can actually look you up follow reach out to you get training with you all the good stuff social media okay okay so um i have a business phone number which is listed on my instagram my instagram is under defensive underscore unicorns with a s <laughs> um once you go on my instagram i have a link tree i have everything connected in my bio which can take you to my email it can take you to my business phone number it can take you to my facebook groups <laughs> it can take you everywhere from there i also post my classes pretty much all the time unless i'm doing private classes um, or DV classes, which I don't post that much, um, unless they allow it. But um, yeah, I'm really easy to get in contact with. I um, um, People have reached out to me about private events and they just text my phone like, hey, Danny, like they know me every day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's no big, listen, as long as it's business hours, I will answer. If it's an emergency and it's after business hours, I might still answer. As long as I see it and I'm available, um, I will definitely, I try to make myself as much accessible as I can because, you know, when you're going through stuff, um, it isn't on a timeline, you know? So I try to be available for everybody, so... Um, Instagram is my biggest connect everything is connected through there so well since since you're in Georgia and it sounds like you're about three hours away from me um I might have to twist Rockstar's arm to take a road trip down to Atlanta (laughs) hang out with you and do some training you know that definitely sounds great I would love it I would love it so I'm always on. I'm always trying to learn new stuff and I I love you know sharing what I know so I'm yeah, ready. That's it. <laughs> so we got to wait for it to warm up so we could take the top down yeah. off the Jeep cuz the Jeep should <laughs> have about 400,000 miles on it now. <laughs> Going down the interstate and then we hit Georgia do some training and then right. make make it a day adventure. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yes. It definitely sounds like a plan. Get some good food, you know and keep keep that training going i'm in That's it right there. <laughs> so once again um thank you for coming on to the m-w tactical podcast yeah. and, um, anytime you want to come on and promote anything you're doing please do um as you stated um earlier but i don't think we said it in the show that your next class might not take place until around after march time yeah so, yeah um, 
But please, everybody, head on over to um, defensiveunicorns.com and look at her training schedule and see what she has to offer. And Mm -hmm. everybody take a road trip down to Georgia and pay her visits. (laughs) And if you do decide to make that trip, let me know so I can go ahead and tell a rock star I'll pay for the gas and the Jeep and we take that road trip and come down there and join you in a training session. Yes, it sounds great. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. You guys made me so comfortable. I I love it. I can't wait to talk to you guys again. Hey, that's the name of the game. We got to have fun (laughs) when we do this stuff, right? All right. So um, if everybody will, like I said, please head on over and give Danny a visit on her Instagram, Facebook, and um, everything else that she's a part of. Go check out her website. And for us please make sure you go head on over to um, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Pinterest, LinkedIn. Just do a search for at M underscore W tactical and head on over to the YouTube channel. As we already stated beforehand, that once we hit a thousand subscribers, we will be doing our giveaway. Now, of course, if you want to follow Rockstar, you can do so at you can find me on Instagram at Rockstar Burst. That's Rockstar B E R S T. Feel free to uh, follow along in my crazy stories or send me some cute animal videos <laughs> or, you know, any tips or tricks to uh, deck out my, my AR. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm open to all those things. Hey, there you have it right there. So, once again, another episode is coming to an end. But don't fret, we will be back next Tuesday. So as we always say when we end the show, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Y'all take care now.